0: You're listening to The Game Changers with Jason Jennings. Leadership lessons in speed, productivity, growth, innovation, and reinvention. Now, here's worldwide best-selling author and speaker, Jason Jennings, and your host, Dale Dixon. And welcome to The Game Changers with Jason Jennings. I'm your host, Dale Dixon. Jason, so good to be on the line with you today.
1: Uh, Dale, great to be with you again.
0: So, our topic today—the focus of the conversation—is the art of the small bet. You write about this in the Reinventers. Tell us, first of all, what exactly is a small bet? Define it.
1: I think the best setup is—is is this when, when I'm teaching? I I always look out at the audience, and one of the thing when I'm about to set up this topic, and one of the first things I tell them is, if you ever find a company, and I'm going to kind of mix metaphors here, uh, that finds themselves at the edge of a cliff, and now they're forced to bet the ranch, with minimal odds of survival. Uh, the real question that you need to ask is, what in the heck did they do to get themselves in that position, where they're where they're forced to bet the ranch? And if if you, if you look at the annals of business history over the past couple of decades, big bets, betting the ranch, uh, seldom seems to payoff. So one of the observations that we began making early on in our research for the reinventors inventors uh, is that remarkable companies uh, with, with incredible staying power and, and incredible consistency uh, find themselves constantly making lots of small bets and then quickly scaling those that work and uh, quickly kissing goodbye uh, those that don't. As Dan D'Amico, the CEO of Nucor Steel says uh, here at Nucor Steel, we have a saying. I mean, if it's worth, if it's worth trying, it's it's worth failing at. And he adds, I always tell people, don't fall in love with it because it might not love you back. Probably, I, th- I think the poster child for the making of small bets uh, is Howard Schultz uh, of Starbucks Coffee. Uh, he headed a company that had grown to about 13,000 stores. It was doing about $11 billion in revenue. He stepped down uh, as a CEO. He wanted to pursue some other things, stayed on the board. Uh, and then all of a sudden, over the next several years, uh, there was a huge erosion in the business. And the pundit said that coffee was a thing of the past and Starbucks had lost its relevance. And, you know, if you call, start calling a horse or someone a horse ten times, uh, they'll start looking for hay. And so if something is repeated often enough, it, it very often becomes fact. Starbucks, in fact, went from $11 billion in revenue Uh, down to an astonishingly low $8 billion in revenue. They lost more than $3 billion. So Schultz comes back as a CEO, and and here's what he does. And I I, I think it's one of the most brilliant moves that that any senior leader could ever do. Uh, His first course of action was to take 10,000 Starbucks co-workers uh, to New Orleans uh, to rebuild homes for victims of Katrina. And he got up in front of them, and, and, and he said, I want to begin by apologizing to you. Starbucks, he said, was never meant to be about coffee. It was meant to be about you. Uh, It was meant to be about you coming to work for us as a part-time worker, uh, becoming a trained barista, becoming a a shift leader, becoming an assistant store manager, becoming a store manager, becoming a district manager. It was about your better tomorrow than today. And in order for that to happen, there has to be growth. And we as a company have let you down. He said, but I'm I'm, I'm I'm planning a stake in the ground today, and here's my promise to you. Uh, Starbucks is, again, going to be about you and your better tomorrows than today's. And in order to achieve growth, we're going to make a dizzying number of small bets. And as I recount in the book, and we list them, uh, over uh, an 18-month period of time, Starbucks made 150 small bets. Now, Dale, you've got to put that in perspective. You know, in most organizations or companies, if if they try one thing a quarter or they have several initiatives a year, people are complaining about, oh, there's so much change. But at Starbucks, they were coming at a rate of eight to ten a month, and some that... People are familiar with our uh, new store design. They immediately began wine and beer testing, which is now even being rolled out to a, a larger geographic area. Uh, they picked up Evolution Fresh Juices to try to catch on that. A mobile uh, payment with Square, where you could uh, order your drink and pay for it before you even step foot in the store. Uh, they made a huge push in digital media, introduced VIA Instant Coffee, which has been a big success, a new logo, rewards and Starbucks cards. They bought Tvana, uh, free Wi-Fi in the stores, uh, they bought love they introduced Starbucks Petites, their dessert line, and then uh, one of the biggest hits of all uh, is they introduced uh, oatmeal at the suggestion of an intern uh, at their campus. And uh, uh, Starbucks oatmeal sells for 2 to $3 a, a serving. The average store sells between, as our research indicates, between 30 and 35 a day, and there's 19,000 stores now around the world, and there's 365 days a year. And if you do the simple math, that, that one small bet, I had a payoff of between 400 and 500 million dollars a year, and and so it's constantly making small bets. But it's it's not enough uh, that you make small bets. I think the real story that we uncovered uh, are the rules for small bets. If you, if you're going to have a company culture, whether you're a small business, a medium-sized business, or, or a big company, if you're going to have a culture of making small bets, there seem to be four rules that you have to follow if it's going to work.
0: So before we hit those four rules, I hear you're really saying this is a values-based decision. When we talk about small bets, you've got to know the values of your company, just as Schultz laid it out at that meeting with the employees. Yes.
1: And, and, and the way you get everybody on board, I believe, uh, is by being transparent and by being revealing and by being authentic. Uh, you know, the old model, I can't begin to tell you uh, how many CEOs, you know, getting to teach 80 times a year and having done so now uh, for a dozen years, that's probably a, a thousand speeches or, or teaching sessions. So I've probably seen a, a thousand CEOs uh, get up to talk. And uh, there's been a big sea change uh, just in the past. Four or five years. I mean, uh, as recently as a decade ago, uh, the C- the CEO was all-knowing. He or she was almost regal. Uh, they were surrounded by a pack of sycophants, I mean, who catered to their every woman's fancy. Uh, they took the stage like peacocks. They never admitted to doing any wrong, uh, and th- th- that that has all changed. And it doesn't work uh, they, anymore. No, it, I mean, I mean, it doesn't work. And, and, and where it happened, and I've not specifically looked into this, but, but where it seems to have happened, or my observation, where it really seemed to occur, uh, was, was, the, was the meltdown of, of, of 2008. And, and it was at that point in time uh, that a lot of these posers uh, finally disappeared, and they were replaced with, with humble, authentic players, I mean, who can truly speak for the heart, or from the heart, and they understand. They, they, they truly understand, as we have discussed previously, uh, that every organization, again, I don't care if you're running a diner in Idaho or if you're running a huge manufacturing facility in Kansas. Every company has four constituencies. They have the workers, the co-workers within the organization, they have the customers, they have their vendors and suppliers, and they have an owner or a shareholder. And today's leader understands that you serve the interests of all four of those stakeholders equally.
0: So let's get into those four rules. What is rule number one?
1: All right, rule number one I love. So let me ask you a question, Dale. Uh, We're going to test your uh, knowledge of wildlife here. So if you're out in the wild and you come face-to-face with a skunk and the skunk feels threatened what are they going to do
0: it will probably uh turn its tail towards you and spray something very nasty
1: that's exactly right well now let me ask you another question (laughs) you may not want to answer (laughs) and when most managers or leaders get threatened what do they do
0: (laughs) probably act like a skunk
1: that's exactly well, they, right. That's not and, what you want, but yeah. And, and, and they spray all over you. Um, listen to this number. In, in, in the book, The Reinventors, um, in the rules for uh, making lots of small bets, we talk about skunking. However, skunking received in the book only two and a half paragraphs. I mean, that's it. I mean, it, it, uh, two and a half small paragraphs. Since the book's debut last summer. Now, this is remarkable. We have received more than 11,000 emails, texts, and pieces of correspondence from readers talking about how they have been skunked or how they themselves were skunkers. Mm. Skunking is epidemic. And and uh, consider the following. Somebody, uh, somebody works for a company, and, and they have the best of intentions. I mean, they want a better tomorrow than today for themselves and their family, too. And they have an idea, and, and, and they think about bringing this idea to the boss. And so for a week or two, they're thinking about it, and do I bring it to her attention or do I bring it to his attention, do I not? And they talk to their husband wife or partner, you know, I've got this idea, should I go tell the boss? Yes, yes, go and tell the boss. And so finally after a largely sleepless night, they you know muster up as much gumption as they can possibly handle, and they walk in and they, said, or they say, you know, I, I want to talk to you about something. I have this idea. I'll only tell you what skunking can be. Skunking can be as little as a raised eyebrow at the wrong time. Skunking can be, wow, we tried that once. It didn't work. Skunking can be, not now. We're so damn busy. I mean, you know, another time. Skunking can be, that's not going to happen on my watch. I mean, and then what happens? I mean,. Are those people going to be forthcoming with ideas? Again, probably the answer is no, judging by the volume of correspondence we've received of people who have skunked. So do you and still so
0: those, do you think it's still as prolific, skunking is still as prolific now as it uh, was prior to 2008 and this sea change that you saw among leaders?
1: Well, I'll tell you this, and I don't want to be an agent here, uh, but I think skunking is still, based on what we hear, skunking is still huge but primarily it's an age thing mm. those who are 45 plus i mean who learned management and leadership or observed it the old way struggle with it not all not all but 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 i think it is an age thing i believe that the younger workforce young people who really get it are a lot more open uh to collegiality to collaboration Listening to others, but I do think. I mean, otherwise we wouldn't have received more than eleven thousand emails and pieces of correspondence in one year. I mean, about two and a half paragraphs in a book. That, that's more correspondence than I've ever received from any previous book. I mean, anything I've ever written before. So, is it is it still out there? Is it still big? I know when I talk to audiences and I ask the question, "How many of you have been skunked?" I mean, every hand in the room goes up. You see a thousand hands go up. I say, "How many of you been skunked in the last month?" A thousand hands go up. And I go, how many have you been skunked in the last week? And probably half the room hands go up. Mm. So it's, it's so big.
0: Rule number one is no skunking.
1: Yep. And that's really, I, I
0: I picked up on that one piece. You said it could be as little as the raised eyebrow.
1: Oh, very often it is. Yeah. Just just looking at you the wrong way. I mean, sends an incredible message.
0: So be aware of those nonverbal cues. Yeah,
1: and, and 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 every leader has to promise to themselves every day, I'm not going to skunk other people. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do it. Which actually leads us to rule number two, and rule number two is this: everybody gets heard. Everybody gets heard. Now, I, I just a few minutes ago inv- invoked the name of New Core Steel. For those people who are not familiar with New Core Steel, New Core Steel is America's largest steel company. Um, they have. Uh, increase their quarterly dividend for 142 consecutive quarters. Uh, I believe it's the best-led company in the planet. And once again, listen to the words of Dan Demico, who said, you know, we listen to everybody, we try everything. And if it works, we scale it, and if it doesn't, if we quickly fall out of love and move on to the next thing. It's by doing this that Newport Steel has been able to take the time it takes to make a ton of steel from 11 hours to fewer than 10 minutes over the past decade. And uh, one of my favorite stories about Nucor Steel, and it directly relates to small bet, is I was uh, I, I was going to visit one of their facilities uh, in rural Utah uh, once uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, uh, I know that shifts change at seven o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the afternoon, eleven o'clock at night, and I I pulled into the parking lot about 1.30 in the afternoon, and, uh, but it was filled with a couple hundred people. And they were all gathered around cars and lunch buckets, and they were eating and having cups of coffee and engaged in very spirited discussion, groups of four, or five, and six people. And I looked at my watch, and I thought, it's, it's 1.30. Uh, I mean, that's not lunch. I mean, for the 7 until 3 o'clock in the afternoon crew, I mean, well, did they let them out early, or what is this? And so when I was talking to the manager, I said, well, what is this? There's a couple of hundred people out there gathered around cars. He said, oh, that happens an hour and a half or two hours before every shift begins. He said, those are the people coming in at 3 o'clock. I said, well, why in the world would they come to work at 1 o'clock or 1.30 in the afternoon? He said, well, the people they're hanging right, uh, around with uh, around on the cars. He said, that, that's their team. Everybody here is on a team of six or seven people. And he said, because so much of their compensation, I mean, is derived from making more error-free and completely safe and injury-free steel, so they get together every day to try to figure out new things that they can do, new ways to improve the process, how to be faster, how to be safer, I mean, how to, how to create more uh, error-free steel. Now, witness case in point? Um, Newcore Steel's average steelmaker uh, makes, this is an astounding number, about 125 to $130,000 a year, and but the base compensation is about 40000 a year. Uh, so about $90,000 of their annual compensation comes from making more error-free uh, and safety, uh, safely produced steel. And it's all because of small bets. And As he said, we try everything.
0: And Nucor has to have an ear tuned to the employee.
1: Uh, totally. I mean, 100%. They, they understand that the only thing that gives them any value, I mean, are the 23,000 people who produce steel for them. Mm. I mean, otherwise, the company has no value whatsoever.
0: Rule number three.
1: Rule number three, and I guess I've already foreshadowed it, uh, a commitment to failing fast uh, is near as we can determine. Uh, Those 150 initiatives or small bets that Starbucks made in that 18-month period of time, I mean, we estimate that about 15 to 20 of them hit. Now that's a big number that's a that's a big win rate uh, and, I, and I mentioned those that have largely been successful uh, but but don't fall in love with it because it might not love you back. and then you quickly move on to something else.
0: No sacred cows.
1: No sacred cows. And then a the final one, number four. Uh, and I'm off to uh, Malaysia, and I'm going to be uh, spending time with the top executives of, of Maruti, and it's the largest car company in India. And one of their big challenges, I've been, I've been doing a lot of interviews and having a lot of discussions with the team leadership of the company. And I've been to India many times, and I'm, I'm pretty experienced in the culture, but they, they reminded me again of, of why they struggle so much with small bets. And, and they do uh and the reason that some cultures and organizations struggle so much with small bets is because failure is not acceptable. Uh, in many cultures of the world, failure is not acceptable, in many companies failure is not acceptable. And so rule number 4 is this. Uh the reason you make lots of small bets is not to punish people, but it's to it's to learn. Um at Aero Electronics where they are making dizzying numbers of small bets. Your CEO, Mike Long, likens it to this. He says, the great thing about heading this company and being associated with these people is he said we're explorers. He said we make acquisitions, we make small bets, we make investments, and we don't know where all of them are going to lead. We have no idea where all of them are going to lead, but it allows us to be explorers all the time. Witness case in point, Google. Over the past three years, Google has made more than 300 small acquisitions. I mean, of course, you know, they're well known for their acquisition of Motorola, which is a big bet. Um, well, yeah, when you consider their cash hoard, even Motorola was probably not a big bet. But they've made 300 acquisitions over the past three years. They're making acquisitions at the rate of one to two a week making lots of small bets, allowing everybody in the company to get on board the bandwagon and be an explorer. And I mean, who wouldn't want to be an explorer? Hmm. So
0: when you have a no skunking, everyone gets heard environment where you are uh, have a commitment to failing and you see it as an exploration to learn, you get away from that idea that we have to have a committee that has to do a three-month study and an evaluation to figure out if Making this one small change is really going to be worth it
1: uh, It is my understanding uh, And uh, Starbucks is uh, secretive about some things and remarkably open and candid about others But it is our understanding the understanding of my research team uh, that they went from the idea being mentioned about oatmeal to actually testing it within less than two weeks. Um, And in a future uh, podcast, we will talk about guiding principles, uh, but kind of let me give you a sneak peek in response to your question. When a company or a human organization has six or seven guiding principles uh, by which all decisions are made, And everybody is empowered to make decisions in accordance with those guiding principles. What happens is this. There is no need for committee meetings. There is no need, I mean, for months of anguish. while everybody is given voice, and everybody needs to be heard. And, I mean, you've got project supporters. You've got project detractors who believe it might damage their silo. You know, you don't need to have any of that stuff. If everybody in the organization is on board the same page and knows and can recite the five, six, or seven guiding principles and is empowered to make decisions within those, that's how speed occurs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Jason Jennings, this is The Game Changers. Thanks so much for your time today. We've been talking about this idea of the small bet. You can see it in detail in Jason's book, The Reinventors. Coming up on the next edition, we're going to dive into Jason's book, Hit the Ground Running and specifically how a new leader can do that. Jason, thanks so much for your time, and have a great trip.
1: Uh, Dale. Great being with you.
0: You've been listening to The Game Changers, leadership lessons in speed, productivity, growth, innovation, and reinvention with business thought leader, best-selling author, and keynote speaker, Jason Jennings. Read Jason's most recent New York Times bestseller, The Reinventors, and visit his website at
1: jason-jennings.com.